Kia ora and welcome to a dawn chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka. It is Wednesday the 23rd of June and today the big news. Early this morning the New South Wales Health Authority issued an alert to say that a person visited Wellington over the weekend who subsequently tested positive when they arrived back in Sydney. So they came from Sydney to Wellington on Friday night on on uh, QF163, Qantas flight, and returned home to Sydney on uh, flight NZ247 on Monday morning. We don't know where they went in those two days in Wellington yet. However, all of the people on those flights have been told to self-isolate and get tested, and four close contacts have been identified in Wellington, and they are currently being tested. Uh, this also has happened at the same time that New Zealand has paused its travel bubble with New South Wales. This came after another 10 new community cases were discovered in New South Wales. This is all around the Bondi Junction uh, shopping centre, the Westfield shopping centre. And uh, that means we've had pauses in the bubbles, in various bubbles, for uh, nearly five weeks now. This is a 72-hour pause, but that's how long the Victorian bubble was supposed to last as well. So what does this all mean? Uh, well, certainly we need to work out uh, where this person went to in Wellington. Our Ministry of Health have said they're rapidly uh, trying to track down uh, where they went. Let's hope they use the QR code app very aggressively. Uh, this is the first time an Australian traveller has brought COVID-19 to New Zealand and then gone home without um, spending time in MIQ. This really reinforces the difficulty in keeping the bubble going and also um, reinforces my view that we are unlikely to travel beyond Australia until at least 2023. Now that Australians or ourselves are fully vaccinated and our programs have barely gotten going and of course the places we might want to go, um, Europe, America, Asia, China, India, and the potential um, temporary migrants we might want to bring in from the Philippines, India, Europe, China, they are nowhere near fully vaccinated. And uh, while this risk remains, particularly with the likes of the Indian variant and whatever else comes next, that uh, time for um, a full opening just recedes into the distance. Um, my current um, pencil is nothing until the second half of 2023. However, um, some other good news um, overnight out of Australia, yes, uh, Barnaby Joyce, remember he's the National Party leader now, um, he'd been away for a few years and it's come back. Uh, he, the thought was he wanted to stop um, the Australian government, uh, um, led by Scott Morrison, from pledging to get to carbon zero by 2050 when uh, um, Morrison went to the Glasgow Climate Conference in November. Turns out now Barnaby Joyce is okay with carbon zero, but farmers have to get compensated. So that's a battle that we'll see. Also overnight in the Senate, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency, which is designed to encourage a more renewable energy, uh, the government, um, the Liberal national government were trying to expand its mandate to include so-called blue energy. This is where you use natural gas, fossil fuel, to make hydrogen, uh, which you could argue is not very green or renewable. 
And uh, last night, Labor and the Greens got together and Pauline Hanson was away from the Senate, so they managed to block that in the Senate. Also, interestingly, The Australian is reporting that the Australian Cabinet is also looking at proposing the building of nuclear power plants, at, uh, proposing to voters at the next election. And in Australian fiscal news, uh, keep an eye on the government in New South Wales, which, by the way, has been very reluctant to have lockdowns, unlike Victoria, and is using mask mandates and localised lockdown and tracking and tracing to try and control COVID. We'll see whether that works. Well, overnight, they announced um, a bunch of new spending, $100 vouchers for swimming lessons for toddlers. Uh, also, if you're in the city, the CBD, uh, you'll get $100 vouchers for inner-city restaurant meals and hotel nights in the CBD. New South Wales, though, is going to the government there, will be back in surplus by 2024. This really is all about strong stamp duty revenues. Remember, they make money every time a house sells in New South Wales, and that housing market is booming too. We've got record house price inflation in America and Britain overnight, so we're not the only ones, although um, we are amongst the, the highest performing housing markets in the world from a, a property owner's point of view. In more COVID news, Joe Biden looks like uh, he's going to fail to get his first target um, overnight. It looks like uh, he says he's not going to get to the 70% partially vaccinated target by Independence Day, July 4th. Looks like we'll get to 67%. Now, a little bit deeper in the local uh, political economy, I went yesterday to a speech by Carolee McLeish, who is the Treasury Secretary. Uh, she gave a speech about um, how fiscal policy will work with monetary policy post-COVID, particularly pointed out that monetary policy would be restrained by what they call the lower bound, i.e. go too much below zero, and the government has to step up and help with fiscal policy. She pointed out that with interest rates so low, our debt is currently sustainable and prudent, and she started to talk about the potential to use our balance sheet, i.e. to borrow money, to invest in projects and other spending that would have a long-term return. She particularly pointed out that while interest rates were lower than the growth rate, uh, you didn't have to get a fantastic return on investment to make it worthwhile. Um, so that will be interesting to dig into a bit more, and I'll have more on that later on today on the Kaka. Also, I spoke to Housing Minister Megan Woods, yesterday about her announcement that there would be a billion dollars up for grabs in the $3.8 billion housing acceleration fund. Remember, this was announced in March. She gave more criteria on who could apply for it and uh, what was needed. Currently, uh, if you're in one of the big cities, you're a council or a developer, then uh, you need a project with at least 200 homes. If you're in a smaller city, it has to be 100 homes. So here's the interview I did with Megan Woods yesterday. Mr Woods, um, this announcement about the criteria for the infrastructure fund, how do we, you make sure it's, it's not um, substituting for you know, councils and others who are going to spend the money anyway and think, oh, we'll get someone else to pay? 
And that's been a consideration that we've had the whole way through that we've been designing this. We're not interested in um, the government just simply becoming a substitute funder, that this fund is all about additionality. How is it that we can get a boost to infrastructure so we can finally start to unlock um, some of the issues that are holding back the number of houses we need? Look, we know, and we're under no illusions, that this $1 billion, or indeed the whole $3.8 billion, is enough to, to, to solve all the infrastructure uh, deficits that we have in New Zealand. So there are going to have to be decisions that are made. So we've set criteria around that. One of those is that, um, that we don't want projects that exist elsewhere in someone else's books. So for example, um, if it's included in a council's LTP and it's um, got a, a line item in a budget or that it's already well progressed. Um, but what we do know is that there are some projects that are quite well progressed and consented but don't have funding. Any idea of the scale happen. of those? How many houses you might get out of your 3.8 so, billion? So in terms of the 3.8 billion, when we launched it back in March, we talked about 80 to 130,000 being the, the yields that we we saw um, initially from, from our kind of modelled kind of assumptions. So where the rubber's really going to hit the road around those numbers is once we start getting these proposals in um, now in this first billion dollar contestable round because we'll start to see what the what the how the numbers stack up and start doing some adding up. So I mean if you were going to do some straight line a third of that, you'd be looking sort of somewhere between 25 and 42. Um, but we don't know, but we, we know it will be somewhere in that ballpark, but I really want to get clarity as we get those proposals coming in. I see in the criteria you've mentioned both greenfields and brownfields. Mm -hmm. um, there was the announcement about Mill Road and also the uh, Tauranga Western Bays Road, essentially putting those on hold. Um, which seem to be saying we're not so keen on it, at least partly because it would generate extra carbon emissions. Uh, are you um, focused more on greenfields than brownfields, or, or how do you see it? Look, it's got it's got to be a mix. Um, I think that one of the things is we kind of like think about our housing and urban development policies and how that fits together with our carbon budgets, which is something that we absolutely need to do. We need to be thinking about how we're adding to our housing stock in a climate resilient way. Now, you can have really bad brownfields development from a from a climate and, and carbon perspective, and you can have uh, really good greenfields um, development if it's built around mass urban transit. So um, that we're, we're open to both. Obviously, it has to fit with uh, with other kind of meshes that go across us, the kinds of cities that we're building for the centre for the for the future. But we see very much that there are opportunities around both. Uh, where we announced today, for example, which was um, in Mount Roskill, part of the redevelopment we're doing of basically our own holdings there, and through the shovel ready money that we'd put um, eight million dollars into a stormwater upgrade that was uh, allowing a yield in that in that um, immediate area of an additional 500 houses of what we were already doing in there um, with the upgrade of $8 million. So we're seeing that in our brownfield um, holdings, there are some really good opportunities and we've always got to be on the lookout for those. But we're not going to solve the housing crisis by taking a one or the other approach. We have to be looking for where we need to build houses and the right houses in the right place. So on that, um, a bunch of developers have criticised the government's decision not to go ahead with Mill Road and uh, the Western Tauranga route because they said this would have opened up a lot of new land for housing. Are you working with one arm of policy against the other by shutting down the roads but giving infrastructure for other projects? 
Oh, that, that's not the case at all. And if we look at the case of Drury, which um, very much the Mill, mill Road um, feeds into, the, one of the things that, that is going ahead in terms of the New Zealand upgrade through that funding is the three stations, so the three mass rapid transit stations. And that's absolutely critical for the housing at Drury, that you do have those three stations along the way, that it, it wasn't condensed in any way. So, look, we're not pretending that this fund is going to solve every infrastructure um, ill the country has, uh, but this is going to go a long way. I mean, another example I have from some of the COVID response funding we put in was in Rotorua, 55 million from memory that we put in for some stormwater upgrades and some roading projects um, opened up an area that um, will allow 1,100 houses to be built um, that otherwise couldn't because there wasn't road access. So uh, we've got to be looking for where there's good opportunities all around the country. And with the three waters reforms going on, are you going to wait until that's um, done and dusted before you move ahead with, you know, because obviously a bunch of people would say um, we're not sure who's going to be owning the pipes, so we're not going to go ahead with that pipes project. Um, so in terms of the three waters reform, it's something that Minister Mahuta and I have been talking about a lot as we've gone through the design of this project um, and how it is that we can make sure that we're, we're keeping them um moving in the same direction in, in lopstick. Because when we talk about infrastructure for housing, um, it's really a fancy word for pipes and roads. Um, in terms of the things that need to be enabled. So um, Minister Mahuta and I are really aware that we've got to keep really close on this and that we've got to be talking to each other and we've got to be um, looking at how it is that we can leverage off the different different strands of infrastructural investment that are going in. Why did you decide to get Kainga Order to do the um, assessment and um, make the decisions? Because pretty busy building their own houses and looking after their, their own clients. So I think one of the things that people often forget that Kainga Ora is our urban development agency. Um, that it's not just a, a tenant, a, a landlord to, to um, tens of thousands of tenants in, in the mould that Housing New Zealand was. That it actually has quite an expanded function in terms of its urban development powers. It's where expertise in, in house building and development um, lies, and certainly they've demonstrated um, over the, the period of time that we've given them these extended powers and responsibilities and indeed mandate, again, to build houses, that they're getting on and doing it. Did you have other choices apart from Kaingora? So it's a subcommittee of the Kaingora board. We are aware that we do need to put some mitigations in because some of the decisions we'll need to make will be about um, about projects that um, that would benefit um, Kaingora. So we've got to have the appropriate mitigations in there. They'll make recommendations. There'll be ministerial decision making is is the final sign off. But what we've all also said it's a subcommittee of the board, and we're we're saying that there have to be two people who aren't currently part of the Kaingora. board board who need to sit on that and the letter of expectations that I'll send to the chair to Vui Mark Goshi will be around the fact we need people with expertise in infrastructure, we need people with expertise in, in development, those kind of things to make sure that we have got some outside eyes in there as well. Uh, what does the government want to see this project and others do to affordability? Because there been, there's been this comment at the end of last year that we need to focus on affordability. So what what does affordability improvement look like to you? So affordability will be one of the criteria um, that we give waiting to, so that 40% criteria in terms of fulfilling the purposes of what the fund's set up to do. Um, that will be front and centre 
for us. And that will mean a range of things. That will mean, um, that could mean Kiwi Build. It could be that we get yield through there, but it could also mean that we um, partner with um, community housing providers in terms of we've got the general rollout of our shared equity scheme, our progressive home ownership plan that we'll be rolling out further um, as this year progresses. It also something we're really interested in talking to developers about is actually about affordable rentals, and I've talked about it a bit, the miss, one of the missing pieces in the New Zealand housing market being that purpose-built rental. So I think we need to think about affordability in all its guises. Yes, it's affordable home ownership, but we have to think of it how it connects to our progressive home ownership um, plans as well, but also rentals. Just finally, um, Wellington Council will be considering their, um, I was going to say unitary plan, but that's <laughs> not what it is. It's a spatial uh, plan, spatial plan yeah. uh, which some people have criticised as you know not including enough houses for the likely population growth and that there's a bunch of um, character areas that have been carved out that maybe shouldn't have been carved out and that seem in conflict with the government's NPS for urban development. What's your view on that spatial plan? Look, we're sending a really clear message to councils that if we're going to solve the housing crisis, we've got to be all in this together. And actually solving the housing crisis means we need to build some houses and we need some space to build those houses. And that's exactly why we have gone down the MPSUD line. It's what we're thinking about as we reform the RMA. And remember, we've also have also have said that we're looking if there's any other shorter term mechanisms that can be put in place while we get while we wait for the um, the the MPS to become operative and to the RM reform to finish. Um, look, we're sending a really clear message. Um, I would hope that councils um, actually pick up that message. Um, this is a contestable fund. We'll be making decisions around partners that share our momentum for pace and scale. So the spatial plan going to the council, are they doing enough to um, have enough houses there? Look, I look around the country and I see some councils that aren't waiting for the le for the, the, the legal moment that they have to have the MPSUD operative in their district planned. That they're actually saying, this is good for the future, this is good for the future of our area. We're going to start taking that into account now and start planning Not everyone for their loves future. It though. Christchurch came out and said, we don't want that Auckland plan for oh, Christchurch. Come on, I'm from Christchurch. We say that if something even has a hint of Christchurch, Auckland about it. But I think what Christchurch people do want is they want more affordability. And I think that the MPSUD and the density that comes with it is one of the ways in which we can see some affordable options being put there for first home buyers and, and people that are really struggling to get into the home, home market. Minister Woods, thank you very much. Thank you. Housing Minister Megan Woods there, talking about the Housing Acceleration Fund. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was an extended dawn chorus on June the 23rd, Wednesday. My focus over the next couple of days will be the spin-off podcast and also keeping a close eye on the Wellington Council's spatial plan debate. Uh, Thursday will be the D-Day there. Um, currently, it's um, it's been gut, somewhat gutted to take houses out to um, keep some NIMBYs happy in the, in the city. You don't want large buildings anywhere near them and uh, there'll be a battle between effectively the NIMBYs and the young ones in council to see who gets that through. The Greens interestingly came out yesterday in Parliament and said they wanted a good spatial plan to get up and running. The trouble for them is that there are some Green councillors who are close to their uh, residence associations who are against dense, more densified housing. So we'll see how that turns out. Again, Kia ora, 
June 23, the Dawn Chorus from Derrida.